Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello. Welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. In this episode, I look at an API-driven clustering solution for deploying FPGAs at massive scale in high-performance computing and for big data workloads. I look at the digitization of telecoms assets, enabling shared network infrastructure addressing interoperability and secure authentication for private network operators to monetize excess network capacity. And I talk about battery management with a new cell-based wireless battery monitoring architecture, which claims it will transform the safety and efficiency of battery systems in electric vehicles, industrial transport, and energy storage. On the FPGA front, we've seen a lot happening in the industry. For example, with Renesas entering the FPGA market with a new family of entry-level devices targeting high-volume applications needing less than 5,000 logic gates, with initial device sizes costing less than 50 cents in volume and with standby power of less than 20 microamps. And at the other end of the scale, Xilinx used this SC21 supercomputing conference to introduce its Alveo U55C data center accelerator card and a new standards-based API-driven clustering solution for deploying FPGAs at massive scale. The company said by enabling clustering of hundreds of Alveo cards and enabling high-level programmability of both the application and the cluster, this new card makes scaling out Alveo compute capabilities to target high-performance computing, or HPC, workloads easier and more efficient than before. You can hear my interview with Nathan Chang of Xilinx in the first clip in the podcast. With many of our industry events starting to go hybrid with physical events which are also streaming live, I took the opportunity to visit the Cambridge Wireless International Conference, which this year was held amongst the planes, which was including Concorde there, at the Aviation Museum at Duxford near Cambridge in the UK. There I spoke to Weaver Labs Maria Lima, co-founder who talks about how their software enables more shared network infrastructure assets with the marketplace platform they have created for virtualized networks. Addressing interoperability and secure authentication were a key part of their platform, she said, along with an internal cryptocurrency system that allows private network operators to monetize excess network capacity on their network infrastructure assets. In the third and final segment of this podcast, we turn to the topic of wireless battery management, in which Joel Sylvester, CTO and founder of Ducosi, tells us how they are enabling smart battery management using wireless communication of battery performance data, which will disrupt the battery management industry, he says. He also said that the current systems are still using battery management solutions based on 1990s technology, and he explains how his company is hoping to change that. First, we go to Nathan Chang, HPC Product Manager for Data Centers at Xilinx. Hello, Nathan. Hey, Nathan. Glad to be here. So uh, you have a, a new um, Alveo card, the U55C. 
Uh, before we go into that, can you just explain a little bit about uh, the background, why, why this was necessary and uh, how long it's been in the works? Sure, sure. So, you know, in the world of HPC, we've been throwing large amounts of compute at our problems for quite some time now. But we're starting to see that compute isn't always the bottleneck. Actually, it's more often than not a different bottleneck. It, it, it tends to be the, the memory bandwidth. Compute problems are memory bandwidth bound. And so we took a card that um, and, and we're able to slim it down to a single slot and then also double the HBM on that card. But more importantly, we provided the ability to scale out across these cards, being able to create large clusters, hundreds of cards, and to be able to target all the HBM on those cards. I think anybody that ever has ever bought an Alveo card has been able to see that there are QSFP ports on these cards. And just like any other card, this card comes with two 100 gig QSFP ports, which means that you have 200 gigs of bandwidth. But unlocking that bandwidth, unlocking the ability to cluster across these cards has always been a pretty big endeavor for our community, right? Developers had to create teams and then go and create their own clustering uh, designs to meet their needs. Now we're coming forward with an open standards-based clustering package, meaning that we'll be leveraging Rocky V2, data center bridging, all over converged ethernet with 200 gigs of bandwidth in each card. And this means that in existing infrastructure, in data centers, you'll be able to put these cards in existing servers, be able to leverage them on existing ethernet networks. And if the network is lossy, sure, you can do that. You can put these cards on there, but if you're able to create a separate lossless Alveo network using Rocky V2 and data center bridging, you'll be able to compete with InfiniBand in performance and latency. I think you talked about enabling access to this capability for a wider set of software developers. So just explain that a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, when, when people look at Alveos, they understand that, you know, compared to commoditized compute, you have a couple of key features, right? The ability to pipeline and parallelize more, the ability to um, create your own custom memory hierarchies, the ability to, to create custom data movement and preconditioned data between blocks of math and compute. All of those features are now going to scale out across more and more cards. Um, creating more and more opportunities to address bigger workloads. Also, I think you're talking about there's only a small developer community that can actually work with the Alveo card, so you're actually enabling a wider access to, to think, more developers. Is that right? Yes, and I think that's the other key point, and thank you for bringing that up. You know, Not only are we making room for bigger workloads, but we're also ensuring that Vitus is available to more of the development community. No longer do you need to understand RTL. No longer do you need to understand the Verilog. You're able to program Alveo cards and target Alveo boards with existing high-level languages like C, C++, and Python. And now you've been working with um, uh, some people already. You've been talking to people like uh, CSIR, CSIRO in Australia uh, for a couple of years. And uh, uh, there are some examples coming out from there. But also, I think you talked about health, health tech and um, also uh, fraud, but tell, tell us about you know, the astronomy example and, and the health tech, you know, how this is enabling some advantage compared to what was done before. Yes, so CSIRO and the Square Kilometer Array, they built a gigantic, a massive square kilometer, 131,000 radio antenna um, 
array to actually observe and, and, and catalog uh, the origins of history. Um, we've been working with them to help them design a cluster to be able to not only take in all that data, but process it in line en route to a larger HPC cluster. And that took 420 U55Cs networked together to handle 15 terabits per second of throughput. Um, you know, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, another example is with TigerGraph. Uh, they're taking on larger and larger graphs and the, the algorithms that they're needing to accelerate like a cosine similarity or something larger like a Louvain modularity or even more complex like a maximum independent set, uh, it just requires bigger math and bigger graphs. And so they're going to need more cards, more cards to be able to query larger portions of the graph across HBM. It's going to be available via OSILINX as well as distributors, and then you're going to make the clustering IP available open source sometime next year. Is that right? Yes, yes. We'll, we'll provide it in, in private preview. You can work with your salespeople. You can work with your reseller uh, to get a hold of us and our, uh, our FAE network, but um, we'll definitely make sure or we're working towards ensuring that it's available uh, early next year. Okay. Well, Nathan, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Next, we talk to Weaver Labs with this interview from the recent Cambridge Wireless International Conference. I'm here at the Cambridge Wireless International Conference in Duxford, and I'm here with Maria Lima of Weaver Labs. Uh, she's the founder. Hello, Maria. Hi. So, Maria, tell me about Weaver Labs. Uh, what do you do? So Weaver Labs, we create a software product that it's called CellStack. This software sits on top of telecoms infrastructure. It aggregates it all in a shared pool of resources with the objective of creating a network as a service marketplace. What we do is we, we try and solve the problem of interoperability across infrastructure that it's owned by different players and also different technologies such as IoT, Wi-Fi, 5G, satellite, and also security, um, adding a security layer on top that enables all of these bits and pieces of infrastructure to be interconnected in a, in a secure way. So let's talk about two, first, two things. Uh, first of all, interoperability, and then we'll talk about security. But on interoperability, interoperability. There's an example I think you've got, uh, you know, the uh, connecting uh, networks uh, devices on LoRaWAN and GlobalStar. Exactly. So we were approached with a very uh, big challenge a um, few years ago um, by a company who wanted to provide a network to humanitarian services uh, when, you know, a disaster happened right. and there was no access to connectivity. And the point was to be able to track the humanitarian aid that was arriving in, into, that, into that area. So what we did was we created uh, an IoT mesh network with a LoRaWAN uh, technology. But in order to get that information out to the internet, we needed to use a satellite gateway. The thing is that GlobalStar and LoRaWAN, they don't speak the same language. They're different protocols and the, you know, the payload of those packets don't really match. But using our software layer on top, we were able to interoperate these two systems and make the, you know, the messages transport across two different um, two very different systems. And we do the same with 5G networks, satellite backhauls, and other technologies. And then tell me about the security. So how's that being enabled? 
So you know how before we used to have these networks that was, you know, just one vendor suits everything and we used to have the security by obscurity, um, one system completely closed. Now we're moving into different providers for different bits and pieces of the network and everything is communicated using open APIs. And that is a very big security problem because you have all sorts of open doors um, in software. So the way we do it is by applying a zero trust architecture. We break all of the pieces of the network and each element of the network itself, it's an, an agent that connects to a, a, a layer, a peer-to-peer -peer layer. And by using zero trust architecture, what we do is we break perimeter models that go beyond that little element of the network. So for two systems to be able to talk to each other, two, two elements of this network to be able to talk to each other, they need to authenticate and be authorized into, into this network. So that is the zero trust approach. So we leverage public key infrastructure um, based on, on blockchain technology to create this zero trust layer. And this is a huge topic for Open RAN, for example, because before we used to have just one network provider and now we have five. So imagine the complexity. Exactly. And um, so, yeah, that leads us very nicely into the, the token product that you've just launched. Yeah, so we are, um, because we are a blockchain company, right? So we use blockchain to enable this marketplace because we think that the big part of the inefficiencies of the telecom supply chain is one single element of command and control. So breaking that and enabling decentralization, it's going to help this democratization of, of connectivity. Um, but for that, we need an ecosystem currency. And that's uh, and to transact value within this ecosystem, we use a token. So at Weaver Labs, we, we are and we enable this by using the Adino token, which is our own native token into the platform. Adino. Adino. Yes, okay. we haven't launched it yet, but we are soon to be uh, launching it um, in, 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 the, in the platform. Okay. And what would you say are the, the biggest challenges uh, for the to enable private networks right now? Skill set. Um, Mobile networks are a very complex system uh, to install. And now that we are even talking about five or six different providers to create one network, it becomes even more complex. And the fact that um, all these private networks are owned by stakeholders that are not necessarily network providers, right. um, it makes it really difficult for them to you know, own 5G networks. So. Our mission is to make it easier for them to own networks and get plugged into a system by, by creating this larger marketplace. And lastly, what's next for Weaver Labs? What are you doing next? I think you've got some, some things coming up. Yeah, we're really excited uh, about delivering our uh, Smart Junctions 5G network in Manchester next year. And uh, we really hope that that's going to be a huge success by showing how a transport authority, Transport for Greater Manchester, owns and operates a 5G network by using a sustainable business model in leveraging this, this marketplace and all sorts of other exciting things coming after that. 
And, and I think what you're enabling with your infrastructure is allowing them to, let's say, sell off excess capacity on that. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So there is a capital investment that is leveraged by one smart city application, which is provided by Vivacity. And then there is a lot of excess of capacity that can be used for other public sector use cases or even private sector applications running on top. So the idea is to leverage this network as a service model to create a sustainable uh, revenue model for, for them. And that monetization is through an internal ecosystem using cryptocurrency, is that right? Exactly. So the idea is to use the blockchain technology, the smart contracts to transact with the, you know, the value exchange and a native currency such as like ours. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you very much. Finally, here's Joel Sylvester, CTO and founder of Ducosi, a firm that delivers battery management data directly from the battery cell using wireless to eliminate masses of cable harnesses. He describes the technology. So what we've developed is a cell monitoring device for use in very large, high voltage lithium ion battery packs of the sort that you'll find in electric vehicles, electric buses, marine applications, grid energy storage applications, and so on. Basically, anything that requires a large battery pack these days is moving to or has moved to lithium ion chemistries, and you need to monitor those cells very closely. There's a lot of energy in them. You need to pay very close attention to what the cell voltage is, what the temperature is, and so on, in order to keep the pack safe and to make them last as, as long as you possibly can. What we've developed is a silicon chip and the software to go with it that allows you to monitor the voltage, the current, the temperature, and many other things, characteristics of individual lithium-ion cells. And then when you group hundreds or possibly thousands of these cells together into a battery system, we have a near-field communications technology that allows you to connect all of those chips across the whole of the battery system into a single battery network, communications network, which reports back to a radio manager device, which is also one of our products. And then the data is used by the battery management system to ensure the battery safety, to control it, switch it on, switch it off, do thermal management and, and all the other things that these large battery packs um, do. So it's, it's a chip and software to go with it. How is that different to what's out there at the moment? The problem has been around for you know 20 odd years, really. You need to make measurements on lithium ion cells. But actually, the, the way that is done, if you were to look at what's on the market now from you know some of the big name semiconductor companies, the devices look almost exactly the same to those that are available in the late 1990s. It's not really evolved very much in that time. The way that the, the, the technology has gone elsewhere is trying to address more and more cells at the same time. So 12 cells, 14 cells, 16 cells. And that's taking them down a particular route of trying to go to higher and higher voltages. Our product just does one cell at a time. So you need a lot more of them. But it does that cell 
that make, makes the measurements on that cell really, really well. You know, we've got industry-leading accuracy on the measurements. We can measure temperature on every cell. We can run algorithms on the cells to tell you what the state of charge is or the state of health or many other characteristics of the lithium-ion cells. We can do that really, really well at one cell. And then you can connect them all together you know, very, very easily into a battery network. No additional connectors, um, no wiring harnesses or all of the other stuff there. You know, that's all gone. That battery network then tells you everything you need to know about the battery system. You're, you're, take, you're taking away cables, you're taking away connectors, you're taking away all the mechanical structures you require to support them and make sure they don't you know, kind of abrade, moving the measurements, the sensor, right to the point where you need to make the measurement. So rather than, you know, if you think of a, a battery pack being the size of, you know, a module being the size of a suitcase, if you've got a board at one end of that suitcase making measurements on cells at the other end, then that's a lot of wiring. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there for interference to degrade the quality of the measurements that you're making. We are right on the cell. You're not going to get a better measurement. Well, the analog signals, because you're right close on the cell, the, an the analog measurements are as good as they're going, you know, uh, as you could possibly get. And at the other side, with the radio frequency um, communications we're using, you know, you're up at uh, you know, two and a half gigahertz. So you are, you know, you're way, way above where almost all of the noise in a powertrain, say, um, exists. So rather than trying to communicate at the same kind of frequencies as, you know, the inverters are screaming and, you know, you're many, many orders of, uh, you know, a, a frequency above, above that. You call it disruptive. What, what is the disruptive bit, the wireless well, the, the wireless part is is really kind of the enabler, um, and there okay. are wireless BMS uh, solutions out there at the moment. But they're actually, other than doing away with wiring, they are more complex than the things you know the, the systems that they're replacing. Um, we have simplified the uh, um, you know, the, 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 the monitoring uh, technology considerably, and. The disruptive aspect of it is that you know, because you can associate one cell monitor with one cell, yeah, it gives you opportunities then to change the way in which you manufacture battery packs. If all you're doing is building a battery management system and applying it to an existing pack, well, yes, it's simpler and you know, we, we would say that it's more reliable and better quality measurements and stuff like that. But that's better than the existing solution. OK, what's disruptive is when you put the chip onto the cell. Now you've got a, an intelligent cell, if you want, um, that you can configure into battery packs of any size, shape, configuration. You can you know, create multiple battery products using the same cells, you know, same intelligence cells, that's more disruptive because it changes the way in which the battery industry is going to approach you know, the way that they monitor and manage their battery system. The, the, the thing that always comes up first is just getting rid of wiring harnesses. Okay. You know, the, 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 the pack manufacturers hate them. You know, all they do is reduce the reliability, you know, create safety issues, 
Um, they're expensive to design and manufacture and install. So getting rid of wiring harnesses is always the, the first one. After that, it's the quality of the measurements we can make. A temperature measurement on every cell in exactly the same um, manner, you know, position um, on every cell. That allows them to you know, improve the performance of their battery packs. And, you know, previously, there's always been a trade-off between the number of sensors and the amount of wiring and the um, you know uh, and how well they understand the performance of their packs. Well, you know, get rid of the wiring, you can do both. The battery industry is still quite young. There's no kind of single accepted way of building a battery. You know, there's still arguments about do you make it out of cylindrical cells or pouch cells or prismatics? Yeah, and there's no indication that's you're going to be decided anytime soon. And yeah, we can work with all of the formats. So we help you know, work with the customers um, with the evaluation of the engineering devices to go, well, this is how you might consider packaging it. Okay. So you've got it on show at, uh, in Stuttgart and um, and then you have product launch next next year, you say? Product, yes. product <laughs> launch next year. Um, automotive qualification takes a long time. Right. Um, so we're going to have products with customers next year, and then the the real kind of volume qualified product is going to be in uh, in 2023. All right, Joel. Good luck, and thank you very much. So that brings us to the end of this episode. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.